0: No other name on this planet begins to breathe life into people and yet others who say that cannot be. No other name writes praise songs and has them sung about them and yet others go on cursing rants about him. No other name welcomes the wandering home or promises his presence without fail, without falter, without a timetable or an end. No other name begins to proclaim the extreme value of you in his constant pursuit of you, whether you recognize it or not. No other name rescues the forgotten or heals the wounded, empowers the weak, calms the worried, comforts the frazzled, redeems the broken, enlightens the seeking, and saves the lost. No other name, but the name that we gather tonight around and with and in, the name of Jesus. Welcome to Easter Sunday. There is no other name like it. And I think he deserves a little something-something. No other name. Now, for some of you, uh, I want to welcome you to Element City Church. I'm Jack. and one of the pastors here. And I know for, for you, maybe you took someone up on a deal and you said, look, we'll go to dinner. If you treat, I'll go to church. It's fine. Uh, and maybe you're here, and I think it's awesome that you're here. I really do. I think it's cool that you would own your spiritual journey enough to the place that you would even investigate. Because maybe you're sitting here feeling like, okay, okay, that the songs were cool. That guy could jump really high, and it was awesome. And just there was stuff, and maybe I'll be able to dance like that in heaven. I don't know if I believe in heaven. I'm not sure. Um, and, and there's all these thoughts, or feelings. Maybe you feel like you're like one of those guys. You ever been to those uh, the tables that you see out in the corner uh, in Vegas or out in, in New York City? It's the people with the cards, right? And they say, watch closely, right? And they keep moving the cards around and you're supposed to follow the card, right? And you know that it's a sleight of hand trick and yet sometimes when it comes to the resurrection, you're kind of like, well, isn't that a sleight of hand trick? I mean, wasn't this religion thing just something that was launched a long time ago by people who thought they had it together? But really, I know history, and I know some of the things, and maybe that's you, and, and, and that's okay. We want to be a church where you don't, have to, you don't have to believe everything in order to belong and be a part of. In fact, we want to have room for you to investigate and to search out and to think and consider for yourself. Now, for many of us, we've done that searching. We've kind of sought out in our own way, and maybe even in our own place. We kind of we gather today, and we we say, "Hey, you know this this is my faith foundation. This is what this encourages me. There's there stirs something in me." And tonight, I hope that as we look at the resurrection. And we culminate what we've been looking at. We've been kind of walking our way through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark has this incredible, he's kind of like the Cliff Notes version of the Gospels, okay? Everything is fast-paced, hard-hitting. There's like very few words in Mark. And so tonight, as we look at this resurrection story from his vantage point of what he wrote, and this is really Peter writing back in first person, using Mark as the scribe, and he's writing these things down so that we might know, I pray that maybe you would keep an open mind. For some of you, this is going to just kind of ensure your faith and kind of build on that foundation. For others of you, I hope that just you'd give space to maybe consider that maybe this Resurrection Sunday has something of merit and weight to it. See, the proclamation of what happened at Easter is the pivotal point in all of history. It's not as well known as the Christmas story, because we say that, we recite that, we hear that in the songs, and yet often if you're not part of a church, you really don't hear the story. And so that's where I'd love to go tonight, is Mark 16, as we wrap up this No Other Names series and kind of put an end to the Gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible, you're welcome to go to that. If you don't and you have a smartphone, you can actually go to Version and you can follow along with my notes and all the scripture passages and some of my thoughts are in there, and and refer back to that at any time. And, and uh, I know it's a bit warm. We're working on that. And so just fan your neighbor if they start to faint. Um, that would be cool. So let's look at Mark chapter 16. And here's what I want us to see. We're just going to read through this. You'll see some of these verses up here. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, in Salam brought spices that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. This is like burial rituals. Okay, this is like you would anoint the body for the whole decaying process. Okay, so it's kind of like embalming as we think about that uh, in our day. And they were going to do that very early in the first day of the week, just after sunrise. They were on their way to the tomb, and they ask each other, <laughs> "Whoa, there's that big rock. How are we going to move that rock away from the entrance?" But when they looked up and saw that the stone, this very large stone had already been rolled away, they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I mean, have you ever walked walked into a grave and seen someone sitting there? Like, sitting, not laying, sitting there. I I haven't done that. I think that would alarm me. Uh, Don't be alarmed. That's going to be the best line ever. Don't freak out! He said, You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. It's interesting that he puts that tag, because he's wanting to refer to the humanity of Jesus. You're looking for Jesus, the guy who's a Nazarene, right? You're looking for him, who was crucified, right? Well, he, he's risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But you go and tell the disciples and Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Mark 9, Mark 10, Mark 14. Remember, Mark is very concise with his words, but in three different places in Mark, he's already recorded Jesus saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, and on the third day, I'm coming back, check it. They've forgotten this. You'll go see him. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Fascinating. What that would have been like to walk into that moment, right? And to see a guy sitting there, an angel who delivers this message Hey, you're looking for Jesus? He ain't here. He's risen, just like he said. He would you you go tell the disciples and Peter that he's going to go ahead to Galilee and meet you there and they leave now it seems like a really strange way to end a book doesn't it? They leave trembling, fearful about telling anybody and that's the end. Now, some of you might look and go, well, wait a minute, my Bible has more. And that's true, you do. It's actually in the second century, some other scholars, some other writers begin to try to add an alternative ending to that that is biblical and is put in there, but that's not originally how it ended. It ended with bewilderment, confusion. Is this really happening? What? You, I, I, don't, I don't get it. And that's how the book closes. Strange way to end a book, Right? But as you've seen through the whole Gospel of Mark, Mark's strange. Peter, in his account, is kind of strange in how he ends this, because this whole thing is so crazy, isn't it? I mean, if we just look at it from a humanity's standpoint, and we just look at it rationally, it doesn't make sense. Two plus two does not equal four in this particular thing. One of the unique aspects of Christianity, when compared to any other faith or religious movement, is that it traces its origin back to one moment on one particular day. Islam isn't like that. Judaism isn't even like that. Atheism isn't like that. Buddhism isn't like that. Back to one point on one particular day. One moment. And this whole movement of Jesus comes out of that. Something happened. Where something was made up. Something happened radically, or something, just the greatest hoax ever, was put into play. And you have to decide where you're going to land on that. And for some of us, We've landed, uh, just seen, this is so plausible, it's so reality, and that's what I wanted to begin to unpack a little bit tonight. There's interesting, there's four biographies, if you will, about the life and the ministry, the teaching, the life, the death of Jesus, right? We know them as the four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Isn't it interesting that in those four biographies of Jesus, so to speak, the last week of his life takes up the majority of each of those books, What other biography do you know and that you've read does that? Where it's the last week of someone's life that you're reading about that takes up the majority of what's written about them. Why is that? Don't don't you find that odd? I mean, wouldn't there be a whole lot more? Or is it because these gospel writers have come to great unity in saying there was something that happened, a particular moment, a particular thing, and everything sparks from there. The thing goes that in ancient days, people had this thought of how things were to go. And when you think about resurrection, you have to think about death. And and let's just be honest. We, in humanity, we, we don't understand death a whole lot. We, we kind of get it. We don't like to talk about it a lot. And so we have... Viewpoints We have thoughts about it. In the ancient times, they did too. In fact, for a lot of people, they thought maybe life was a lot like a candle, right? I can light a candle, and then I can I could smolder it out. It's gone. And maybe life is like that, and it's just, you exist for a while, and then it's gone. Others thought, well, it's very cyclical. There's this reincarnation, they might call it. They might talk about this cyclical kind of life that you just fade away, and then you fade back in as something different. And maybe that's what they began to put their minds around. Others had this thought that there was this underworld, right, where you would go. And many people refer to that as Hades. And so you would die, and your, your spirit would go there, and you, wouldn't, you couldn't go back to the world that you knew, But you didn't kind of die, you just kind of existed and were there. And and that was the vantage point of a lot of people until you have to understand when those women walked out of that tomb, the reason for bewilderment, the reason for confusion, the reason that you would probably feel the same way is that there was a thought that they knew. See, the Jewish people were the first people on the planet who began to talk about life, and life having meaning, and life actually having a decision points in them, and life actually having a destination where history was moving somewhere. It didn't just exist cyclically. It didn't just kind of happen to be, or it didn't just, you were there for a while and then gone. They actually began to enter this idea of resurrection, And to have that there was a destination, history, life, your life, was moving somewhere. And there had points to it. And so that was the backdrop. And that's what I want us to see a little bit tonight. Is the backdrop understanding of what they would have understood in that moment. And maybe for you to begin to see some plausible proofs about the resurrection. Because it matters. And no other name claims it. It's fascinating to begin to think through. They begin to look at this idea of resurrection, begin to see that nobody in history other than Israel had begun to say and point to this thing. Jesus shows up and he begins to break the rules. He teaches like other rabbis, because he was a rabbi, but what he said and how he spoke and what he talked about was so radically different, it confused people, it caught them off guard. Jesus taught every single time, and it kind of eschewed people in a way. It it troubled them. It made them think, because it wasn't what they knew, and it wasn't maybe the scope of what they began to understand. They began to see that maybe this idea of resurrection, see what they believed was that the world was a messed up place. Anyone in agreement with that? They believed the world was a messed up place, and it was so messed up that humanity couldn't fix it. And yet there was a God who created it all. And one day, one day, at the end of time, He would set the record right. And He would forgive people. And He would work in bringing restoration. And at the end of time, this new age would dawn. The resurrection age. And at that time, God would make everything disease would dissolve and go away. There would be no more war. There would be no more strife. There would be no more pain and no more hurting. And God is making that right, and he's going to take care of it. And so what you have to understand is when the, when the women walked into this tomb, this empty tomb, they walked out going, this is, I think, good news. I think true news but I'm not quite sure. Because everything I've ever thought about life and how things are going to go, that this age we're living in is this age, and one day in the coming age, God will make it all right. And resurrection would happen all at once. It was a team deal. See, for, for one person to be resurrected, only one, would be similar to us saying, you know, hey, this year the Diamondbacks are doing so well, aren't they? It's so awesome. I bet they're going to win the World Series. But I think it would be me who would say, no, it'd be like this. It'd be like, you know Paul Goldschmidt, the first baseman? He's going to win the World Series. The rest of the Diamondbacks aren't. Just him. And all of you, if you have any understanding about baseball, would go, that's stupid. You're dumb. That can't happen. That's an individual thing. And that is a team sport, right? Resurrection in the Jewish mind was a team sport. It happens all at once. Everybody gets it. And Jesus shows up, and he begins teaching, and begins talking, and begins living out, and all of a sudden, this twist comes. See, Jesus was the rabbi who was going to overthrow Rome because they were oppressing us. That's actually what was oppressing me, right? And Jesus began to say, no, no, no. there's some deeper things going on. There's some oppression going on in the inside of your heart and on the inside of your life that maybe no one else sees, and I've come to deal with that. No, no, Jesus, you're a military leader. You're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to free us, and you're going to usher in this new age where everything is going to be right, and God's people are going to be resurrected, and we are going to be made right, and the world is going to be made right, and that's how it's going to be. And Jesus, three times, Mark 9, Mark 10, Mark 14. Guys, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And no wonder we find these disciples disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed. Why? Because their leader, the one that was going to usher in this whole new age for everyone and for the people of God, is gone think about it. See, messianic uh, leaders, people who said, I, I'm a messiah, they had been a dime a dozen in the first century. In fact, there was many people who would rise up and say, hey, hey, I'm it, follow me. And then Rome, being Rome, would crucify them. Because you're Rome and you're not, and we want to make sure that you know we're Rome and you're not. And so we're going to squash that. And the whole movement of that person would dissolve, right? And so if your Messiah that you're following is killed, much like many have already been, well, what do you do? You have two choices. Either you dissolve the movement or you look for a different person, right? That's your choices. That's the options that are before you until one particular day, moment in history, where some women walk into an empty tomb and later we see Peter and John go into this empty tomb. And a new story begins to get written. And it's confusing at first. Because resurrection was supposed to be a team deal. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It will be a team deal, but we're going about it a different way. It's one person at a time I start. I'm first. And if you follow me, if you trust me, then you get to join in that parade too. You get to be a part of that. See, what they understood, the picture we get in all four Gospels, is that we find the followers of Jesus who are disheartened, dismayed, disappointed, dispirited. And then suddenly, they weren't. Don't you find that fascinating? Here's guys who have spent three years of their life. Here's women who have been around this whole Jesus movement for three years. And everything ends. And then a day later, everything changes for them. And every movement Messiah-oriented before that, the Messiah dies, and that movement dissolves. Because here's what people understood. See, back in that day, sometimes I think in our culture, we think, well, they were gullible, right? I mean, they didn't have science on their side so they they didn't understand maybe this was just a you know they they had warm fuzzies about jesus right and they just kind of talked about that a little bit and those warm fuzzies kind of built and growed and it's like a snowball going downhill and suddenly people started thinking well maybe maybe he really did come back and then that just kind of snowballed even more and then soon it just became this this phenomenon that people talked about right some people view that that maybe is what happened and I just don't see the reality of that really playing out over century after century after century. Do you? Or did something really happen? See, C.S. Lewis calls the idea that this, this former generation is just dumb, they're kind of gullible, they're kind of stupid. He calls this chronological snobbery. That would be thinking that people way back then were just dumb. They're, they're not. You're like them. You're not dumb. You're smart, right? Look at your neighbor, say you're smart. I believe that. Okay, Ancient people were not just dumb. They understood that dead tends to stay dead. It reminds me of the woman who's looking out of her house window, right? And she sees her German shepherd grabbing this rabbit and just shaking it like crazy. And she realizes it's the neighbor's rabbit. And they don't get along very well. And so she takes a broom and she kind of, you know, pokes at the dog and drops the rabbit. And she looks and it's dead. And she feels horrible that her dog has killed this neighbor that they don't get along with. And so she brings it in. She washes it in the sink, gets the hair dryer, blows the hair back, kind of combs it a little bit, props it up a little bit, sneaks over into the neighbor's yarn and props it up into the cage, right? And then sneaks back over. And about an hour later, she hears her neighbor yelling, Oh, the rabbit! Oh! And she goes, Oh, neighbor, what what happened? And the neighbor says, Our rabbit died two weeks ago. We buried it. And now it's back! Bummer. you got to think these things through. Most people who are smart understand that dead means dead. And it, dead doesn't mean you start over. Dead just means dead. Like, that's the reality of the life we know. That's what we understand. Um, N.T. Wright is a New Testament theologian. He writes these words. There were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome, as Jesus did. And in not one single case outside of Jesus, do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead. They just knew better. It didn't make sense. Because how do you begin to claim that? And maybe this movement of Jesus you begin to get your mind around a couple different things. There's a couple... Um, plausible things that begin to to come front and center, there's an empty tomb. There's no denying that. If Rome could have produced the body, they would have, to squash any movement. It took 300 and some years before Rome is kind of overrun by this movement of Jesus. But they continually tried to squash. You can read all about it. Read about Nero and how he used to light Christians on fire to light his garden. They wanted to squash this movement because it wasn't good for them. So if they could have produced that, they would have. In fact, multiple times for those other would-be messiahs, their tombs became like shrines, right? But you never read about that for Jesus. Why? Because the tomb was empty. Jesus appeared to many people, to these women first, to Peter, to, to John, to the rest of the disciples, to even the one that we call Doubting Thomas, right? No, 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 that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden his story changes. And to 500, Paul writes about 1 Corinthians 15, read it. And so multiple times over these next 40 days, Jesus appears and then he ascends back to heaven and he gives his church. All of a sudden, think about this, friends. These dismayed, disillusioned, disheartened disciples who have watched their Messiah die in front of them, suddenly, one day later, are willing to die for their belief that they've seen him. And for years on end, after end, after end, they portray this, this story of this resurrected Jesus. Would you do that for a lie? Would you do that just to protect a fantasy? Or to protect a hoax or a story that you made up in a dark room somewhere? Would you go to your death to defend that? And yet you read about this over and over, an empty tomb, in appearance to many, many people. Who verify, and then this movement of Jesus takes traction that begins to actually, a few hundred years later, overthrow the mighty Rome through love. That is a matter of history. No other name has produced that kind of change, has it? No other name do we still talk about 2,000 years later. Do we still gather and write songs about No other name do individual people that you may know say, He changed my life. No other name. Maybe it goes back to the question that we all have to answer. The one we asked a few weeks ago, Who is this Jesus? Was he just a good guy? Was he just a moral dude? Was he a good teacher? Did he tell good stories? Or was he something more? See, Jesus appears to these women. It's interesting to Mary Magdalene, to Mary and to Siloam. What's fascinating about that is that all four Gospels record that. That the first witnesses of Jesus are women. Now in our day, that wouldn't stand out, would it? It'd be like, okay. But you have to go back to the first century. Women, you have come a long way. Because in the first century, you weren't even allowed in court. In fact, your testimony in court wouldn't even hold water. You couldn't testify. In fact, many people who committed crimes back then, if they did it in front of just women witnesses, no one would ever prosecute. Because a woman's word wasn't held. Why do you think that all four gospel writers... Record, then Jesus's first appearances to women. Would you do that if you were trying to fabricate something? No, that's writing suicide in the first century. That's just dumb. You wouldn't do that unless, <laughs> unless it's true. And so we have an empty tomb. We have appearances to many, many, to hundreds. We have a radical change from disheartened disciples one day who think everything is in demise to suddenly willing to go to their death to defend what they have seen, what they have heard, what they have watched, who they've touched, and who's touched them, and changed their life. It's an amazing story. They now begin to buy into this idea that resurrection is true. And maybe it's not the way that we had it framed out in our own mind, but resurrection is we are a resurrection community. God is about reconciliation, and he is about restoration. And he's just doing it a little bit differently than what we had pictured in our mind. And he's doing it one life at a time. And when Jesus stood there on that Easter Sunday, and the stone is rolled away, and he took one step out of of a tomb. Remind you, a tomb where he was dead. And now he steps out. That step changed everything. And that's why we gather to celebrate. And that's why we invite people to consider. Who is this Jesus? Just a good teacher? Just a good moral guy? Or is he something more? Can, can you begin to build a faith foundation not on a religiosity pursuit or this idea of how good I have to be. Or maybe we can begin to build a faith foundation on the Savior who stepped out of an empty tomb and said, you're worth my pursuit, and I love you, and I forgive you. Come on home. I've made it possible for you to have life with God. Follow me. That's what Jesus begins to say to these early followers. He begins to say to them, you are a resurrection community. And wherever you go now, you are bringing my restoration, my reconciliation to the world around you. See, church is not a gathering of people in a building. Church is people stepping forward, one step at a time, into the community around them and saying, there is a hope available to you. There is reconciliation available. There is a hope that you don't have to quit because you have a Savior who never quit on you. Here's the fascinating part, my favorite part of this whole story in Mark 16. You go tell the disciples, and two words, you have a pen, underline this. You go tell the disciples and Peter. Friends. Oh, get this. Who's Peter? He's the one writing this. Right? What did Peter do? Oh, Jesus, I know you're talking about this crucifixion stuff. I don't like that. Peter, get behind me. You're thinking about your plans and not God's plans. Jesus, if everyone else leaves you, I will never leave you. I will die for you. Rooster crows three times. Where's Peter? He's denied him three times. And he's fleeing and weeping. He's denied his Savior. And the angel shows up day. Hey, 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 you're looking for Jesus? Hey, ah, he's not here. He's not here. He's risen just like he said. You go tell the disciples, hey, and Peter. You go tell Peter that he's gonna meet him in Galilee. Because friends, we follow a Savior who steps forward into your life and into your mess, into your denials, into your mess ups, into your uh, backstabbing in a way. And he says, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't about performance. This is about faith. Do you trust me or do you not? And when you're with me, I'm with you. And even when you walk away from me, I'm with you. Because I don't quit on people. The resurrection. The whole story of Easter is God saying, I can create new beginnings out of anything. Anything. You may be sitting here going, Jack, you don't know my story. You don't know know the tomb I'm in. This relationship, I can't fix it. And I don't get it. And I don't know how to make it better. And it's my tomb. And it's closing in around me. And I'm going to tell you, you hang in there. I follow a Jesus who says your story isn't done and isn't finished being written. And he can write new beginnings out of what you seem and and call the greatest ending that you've ever faced in life. You may be facing something that you're carrying, a health issue. You may be facing a challenge that's looming in front of you. And I'm here to tell you, I follow a Jesus who stepped forward out of what seemed to be the end and says to you, he can create a new beginning out of anything that you're facing. And you are not alone. Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of God? Not even death. Not even death. See, the resurrection story, it's it's a rescue story, isn't it? We don't need self-help. We need a Savior. We need someone who can reach down and grab us right where we're at, where we need reminded me of a story this week. I was thinking back to my young fatherhood days as I took my son to the community pool. How many of you have kids or nieces, nephews, you've done this? You go to the community pool and it's the jackpot, right? You're the only one there. Woo! That's awesome, right? It's exciting. You don't have to deal with people or deal with stuff, Right? So you're there with your kids or nieces and nephews and you're there at the community pool and and I'm there with Taylor and he's about three, maybe four years old. We've got the swimmies off. We're just kind of chilling outside of the pool and all of a sudden I turn my back, right? And I hear little feet running. But see, I've had the conversation. You don't run around the pool. You may drown and die. Don't. I don't want that. You don't drown, right? Maybe as parents or as aunts and uncles, you've had the conversation around the pool. You should. Maybe I went a little bit overboard with the death thing and just trying to just trying to strike fear, okay? I'm trying to strike fear because I know the dangers of a pool. And all of a sudden, I turn my back and I, and I hear a splash. And I'm going, hey, whoa, we, this is jackpot. We are here alone. I am not in the pool. I turn around. In a matter of seconds, this plays out. I run up to the edge of the pool and I see my son at the bottom stared at me, his eyes as big as plates. And I jump in, I grab him, I pull him out, and then he starts yelling, I'm drowning! I'm drowning! I'm like, dude, 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 you are not drowning, okay? Don't have the neighbors come out here. You are nowhere near drowning at all. In fact, you are so far from drowning. Let's not even talk to Mom about this story, okay? It's just, you are, you are so far from drowning, okay? Um, because what mom doesn't need to maybe get the story about all this is that your dad was looking over you and you were never out of his attention and you were never out of his sight. And this rescue story is all about how strong the dad is. Easter is all about how strong our Heavenly Father is. The greatest power of God's display ever put in history is that Resurrection Sunday where Jesus stepped over the threshold of a tomb and said, if you believe in me, you can too. If you follow me, you'll never be alone ever in life. If you'll take a step, so here's my question for you today. Have you ever taken that step? Have you ever taken that step? Because here's what I'm convinced about. Every single person on the planet needs to wrestle with one particular question. It's what we showed before this the beautiful dance and and everything. It's what we talking about this whole entire series where Jesus asked his followers one day, Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Because Jesus put on display Easter Sunday, I'm back. (laughs) and I'm way more than you thought. And I'm the son of God, and I've come to make life with God available to any and to all who turn toward me. And so here's the invitation for you. Maybe you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and Easter Sunday, this idea of resurrection, this idea of the plausibility of it, the proof of it, well, it builds your foundation of faith, and it reassures you. Friend, you are the church and you are a resurrection community. Be it. Live it. Demonstrate it in the way that you live and interact with people around you. Be God's hope with legs. Do you hear me? Be it. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is what the scripture says, the same power that's available to you and me, and this isn't a Tony Robbins, you know, power talk. This is just simply saying, look, the same power that was available that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you and I as followers of Jesus. Live in it. Exercise that. Ask God to empower you to be His hope with legs in this world. To begin to proclaim that resurrection, restoration, reconciliation is available to those who look to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you are like, okay, this is that sleight of hand thing and that preacher guy is getting to that point where he's going to ask me to do something, yeah, I am. I'm going to simply ask you, have you ever taken a step toward faith? Does it mean all your doubts are answered? No, I still got some. Here's what I've come to believe. When Jesus asked the question to Jack, who do you say I am? I believe he is the Son of God. And I believe that he has come to make the world right. And that started with me. And he's changed my life. And I can't imagine living life without him. Because I have no hope without him. I know me. (laughs) I know me. And I know I don't need self-help plan. I need a Savior who is strong enough to pull me out and lead me forward. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. And so the invitation what I'm going to give you is in a moment uh, for all of us to kind of bow our heads and just kind of take stock, take a, take a moment just to pause on this Easter. We're going to continue in just a minute with a uh, communion and uh, stations around. There's a couple down front and a couple in the middle aisle. We're going to continue in worship and just want you to lean into that and sing with all your guts if your faith is founded on Jesus. But for some of you who might be here tonight and you've never taken that step, what better day than to do it on the day that Jesus stepped forward out of a tomb. So here's my invitation to you. In a second, I'm going to pray through a prayer, and I'm just going to invite you to kind of pray right along with me. There's nothing magical about these words. It's simply saying, hey, I'm aligning my life. I'm doing what that verse said. I'm confessing with my mouth, and I'm believing in my heart, and I'm taking that step. And so if that is you, here's what I am going to invite you to do just in the quietness of your seat. No one's looking around. Just here. Jesus, this Easter, I realize that there is no other name. There is no other name that can save me like you. I confess I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, my brokenness. I believe you are Lord and that you are alive and active. I want you as my Savior. Come into my life and lead me forward. Thank you for saving me. There is no other name that invites the wandering home. There's no other name that says the healing that you need is available. There's no other name that promises their presence without ceasing. There's no other name that says there is a hope available to you. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And so in a moment, as our worship team begins to lead us, there's some space for you to observe communion, remembering The body and the blood of Jesus shed on Good Friday that makes Sunday a great, great Sunday for all who turn to Him. And if you're here today and you kind of maybe prayed that prayer along with me or you have questions about that, here's my invitation to you. I'm a nice guy. I'm not going to hurt you. And I would love to personally meet you. And if you prayed that prayer, your life is on a whole new trajectory and I'd love to celebrate that with you. In fact, I've got a free Bible for you. If you don't have one, I'd love to give that to you. So in, as we worship in these next three songs and as we take communion, I'm just going to be over here on the, uh, my left, your right, uh, and I'd love for you just to come see me. and just, I'd love to pray for you and just to celebrate with you. No, There's no plug in that. There's no, no. You don't have to be afraid of that. I would just love to personally meet you. And so, Father, as we continue in worship, as we celebrate this Easter Sunday, the Sunday that changes everything, because Easter changes everything. As we observe community, as we worship you, may our whole heart be engaged with gratitude. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. We love you. We love you.